0: We're going to be over in the book of Hebrews. If you have any young children either listening on the internet or in the service today who have a strong belief in Santa Claus, you may remove them for a few moments. <laughs> just in case anyone was here had a strong belief in Santa Claus, we're just going to throw out some things here to you to finishing up Christmas and if anyone w- doesn't want them to hear that, we want you to feel free to just take them out that side for just a little bit or turn the player off or Fast forward it. But in his book, Wayne Rice, in a book uh, that he wrote called Still More Hot Illustrations for Youth, he said it is truly heartwarming to know that millions of people around the world believe in Santa. Sure, most are under four feet tall, but still it's amazing that so many believe in the big guy in the red suit, considering the following. Around the globe today live approximately two billion children. Santa doesn't visit all of them, of course. Subtracting the number of Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, or Buddhist children reduces Santa Claus's, Santa Claus's Christmas Eve workload to 15% of the total, or 378 million. At an average census rate of 3.5 children per household, presuming there is at least one good child in each home, Santa must visit 108 million homes. Santa has about 31 hours of Christmas to work with thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth, assuming he travels east to west. This works out to 967.7 visits per second. That means at each household with a good child, Santa has around one one thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left for him, get back up the chimney, jump into the sleigh, and get on to the next house. For the purpose of our calculations, we will assume that each of those 108 million stops is evenly distributed around the earth. We're talking about a trip of about three quarters of a mile between each household. A total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting bathroom stops or breaks. To cover that ground in 31 hours, Santa's sleigh moves at 650 miles per second. That is 3,000 times the speed of sound. By comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle, the Ulysses Space Probe, moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. And a conventional reindeer can run, at best, 15 miles per hour. The payload of a sleigh adds another interesting element. Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, two pounds, the sleigh must carry 500,000 tons, not counting Santa himself. On land, a conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds, and there. Even granting that the flying reindeer could pull ten times the normal amount, the job couldn't be done with a mere eight or nine of them. Santa would need 360,000 of them. That increases the payload, not counting the weight of the sleigh, another 54,000 tons. 600,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance that would heat up the reindeer in the same fashion as a spacecraft reentering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintilin jolts, jolts of energy per second. In short, they must burst into flames almost instantaneously and create deafening sonic booms in their wake. The entire reindeer team would be vaporized in a little less than five thousandths of a second or right around the time Santa reached the fifth house on his trip. <laughs> Note that it matters, not that it matters, however, since Santa is a result of accelerating from a dead stop to six hundred and fifty miles per second in one one thousandth of a second, would subject to, would be subject to centrifugal forces of seventeen thousand five hundred Gs. Santa would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by more than four million pounds of force, instantly crushing his bones and organs and reducing him to a curving blob of pink goo. <laughs> but if you go up to a child and you say Talk about Santa Claus, what do they do? Oh, they're fine with it, aren't they? They're fine with it. You see, all those details do nothing more, do nothing for them at all. Anyone who wants to believe in something, no matter what you tell them, they will still believe. Anyone who desires not to believe loves information to help them disbelieve. We started a new series last week. Am I steady in my beliefs and practices or stubborn and unmovable in the things of God? We're going to go over to Hebrews chapter 3 and spend some time over there today. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Every house is built by someone. Jesus is a builder of a house. When you build a house, you start at one point, you begin to add things, you're bringing things in, and you begin to construct and build it. This is a house that is built by, by him. He says that we are of the house of Christ if we do a number of things. If we, if we, let's read this over again. For this one has much been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son of over his own house, whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, we are of the house of Christ. We're not building our own house. We are of his house. If we hold fast the confession, the confidence of hope and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. If we're not part of Christ's house, what house do we become part of? So the idea we need to be staying in here with God's house. Because if we don't continue to do these things, we're not in God's house. But if we do these things, and it, it's not much, but Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Hold fast the confidence and the hope of rejoicing all the way up until the end part. Moses was faithful in the house that Christ built, or is building. He was faithful. So whatever God gave to Moses, Moses was faithful with it. In verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, look at this, today, if you will hear his voice. He doesn't say, if you hear, he says, if you will hear. There is a difference between saying, if you hear his voice, then if you're saying, if you will hear. Saying if you will hear means you did hear it with your ears, but will you hear it on the inside? Will you respond to it? Today, if you will hear his voice, the Holy Spirit is speaking. It's not hard to hear his voice. The difficulty is, will you hear it? Today, if you will hear his voice, he goes on. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts. Who hardens your heart? You do. You are the one who can harden your heart. No one else does. He says, if you harden your hearts. So, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you harden your hearts, are you hearing his voice? In this verse, no. You're resisting the voice of God if you harden your hearts. Do not harden. Harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with them, with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Now, how many times have you heard somebody in your uh, in your family and in your life that is close to you that you enjoy the fellowship of? How many times have you heard them say this? You always do. You ever heard that from somebody? You're always doing that. You always leave that there. You're always losing this. How many times have we said that about other people? And how many times have other people said that about us? Now, is it true that we always do it? No, but we've done it often enough <laughs> that if we respond to thing, you're always losing those keys. You always forget to do that. Or we'll also go to the negative side. Do you never? <laughs> and you can fill in the blank there. And most times, it's not that we never, and it's not that we always. It's that we sometimes, but more frequently than that person would like us to do. And so it becomes you always, then you never. But this is God talking. If God says you always, guess what? He's not exaggerating. He means this. Look what he says. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. Now, think back to the generation of Israel. Think back to the times when they were in Egypt. Think back to the times when Moses came along and brought the the plagues along. The ten plagues that were going to do it. Every time that a trial came up, Every time they faced the Red Sea, they faced no water, they faced bad water, they faced no food, they faced an enemy. Every time they faced something, what did they do? Complained to God. You brought us out here to kill us. You, never, you don't ever deliver us. You haven't sent anyone. They're always complaining about God. Is there a single time in Israel's history prior to Moses getting there, In the the years before when Moses was being raised up. Or the time that Moses was there. Or the time that Moses was leading them through the wilderness. That generation. is there. We're not talking about past generations. We're talking about that particular generation. That generation that was led out of Egypt. Is there a single time in the Word of God that they believed God? We do not have a single recording of any time when they believed God. Not one. So when God says they always go astray in their heart, what do you think he means? They always go astray. Every time that they had the opportunity to go astray in their hearts, they did. And he classified them as having hard hearts. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, how many of you moms have been taking your going out to the grocery store and you took the kids with you? And the kids were not having a good day. And neither were you. Because the kids were not having a good day. And you took them on through the grocery store and they're picking at everything. They're seeing the cookies. They're seeing the candy. They're seeing all this stuff. And no, 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 no. If you do that again, I'm going. And you get real, real mad and you say something. Something that you're going to take away. Something that you're going to do. and Because you're mad. And you mean it because you're mad. Right? And then after a while, the wrath begins to subside. And you're not as mad. And they got back to behaving themselves. They needed a nap. They got the nap. And they're doing much better. And your wrath subsides. And now what happens? Oh, you can have that back. Oh, we're not going to go ahead and do that. You've been doing real, real well. Right? Because we said in our wrath, that we're going to do this, and then we relented. But God's not that way. When God gets into a place of being wrathful, when we bring God to a place of being wrathful, and He says something, it's happening. We're not going to get that thing, I'll be good from now on. I'll go take a nap, and then we'll be alright. No, that's not going to happen. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter in my rest. And did He relent? No. How many years were they wandering around the wilderness? Did God have time to cool off? He sure did. And what did God say? You're still dying out here. (laughs) I am done with your generation. When God gets done with you, look out. You got to push God pretty far. And they did. They pushed God pretty far. Now, we can't relate to this because we have not been in a place where God came down and opened up the Red Sea, where God rained down bread from heaven every day, when God opened up rocks to pour out water for us, when God delivered us from enemies, when God hovered a cloud over us to protect us from the sunlight, when God hovered a fire over us to keep us warm at nighttime, when God didn't let the sandals on our feet wear out, when God did ten different plagues to deliver us from Egypt, after which they delivered us and sent us out with the stuff and showing up at Mount Sinai and seeing God show up on the mountain and hearing God on the mountain and seeing Moses come down with a glowing face because he was with God. We, can't, we have not been through that. But to go through and see all that on a regular basis and then say, you know what? <laughs> I don't think God's coming through for us. To see the earth open up and swallow people who rebelled. To see fire come down and burn up others who rebelled. And still you want to rebel. Can you imagine having that heart of a heart? I'm sure you probably can't, but these folks did. And God said, I swore in my wrath. You're not entering in. And guess what? I'm not relenting. You guys aren't entering in. Not a single one of you. I'm going to wait out here until every one of you dies. And we'll take the next generation in. God does not enjoy people with hard hearts, does he? And the harder your heart, the less God enjoys you. Now, how many of you have relatives? And you know, you have to love those that are born in your house or relatives. or You know, you have to. I don't know why. I guess you just kind of have to because, you know, they're relatives. But how many of you all have some relatives that you just don't like that much? <laughs> well, we're going over there and visit them on Christmas, but I don't really want to. Do we have to stay long? There's this, I mean, you'll, you'll go visit them because they're relatives. That's the only reason. I mean, if they weren't relatives, you would not even be darkening their doorstep. You'd be gone. But because they're relatives, you know, well, you know, but you don't enjoy them a whole lot. Well, God did not enjoy these folks. And he eventually got to the point where they said, you know what? You're not going to get in. We're going to go with the next generation. He says in verse 12, beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He's talking about this generation that was rejected, that was told them, you will not enter into the rest. You're not going to get the things that God has. And look what he says. Beware. We're talking about these. If we're talking about these folks, guess what we're still talking about here? What they did, what their problems were. And so he says, now, saw that example? We saw what God did with them. We saw how God resisted them. Beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware. Don't get near that. You saw what God did with these folks. And they were of Abraham's seed. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So, he says, beware that inside of you, he calls it an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief is another word for a hard heart. Is another word for being stubborn. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You can be hardened and hardened and hardened. And he tells you how through the deceitfulness of sin. How many of you know how to make water hard? Anybody have any idea how to make water hard? Put it in the freezer. Right? If you put water in the freezer, what happens to the water? It becomes hard. So you know how to make water hard. You have other things that you know and if, and if you do certain things with them, you change their consistency. You make them from being soft and pliable to hard. How many of you have played with Play-Doh when you were kids? And we all learned how to make Play-Doh hard. How do we do it? Leave the lid open. Leave it out somewhere. Don't put it away. If you don't put it away, guess what? It becomes hard. Can you play with it in the same way? No. Not all that useful. You, don't want, you want things soft and pliable. You know, when making the bunk beds, we have a whole lot of knots and things like that we have to fill in. And so I buy this stuff called wood putty. There's one brand I like. Only one brand I like. You can keep all the rest of them. I want one brand. I got one store I can get it from. We get on over there, we get this one brand, and we use this thing. But if you leave the lid open, do you know what happens to the wood buddy? It begins to get hard. Sometimes it comes in hard. Sometimes I get it in, and it's so hard and stiff, I can't work it real well. And so you know what I do? I learned how to soften it. You put water in it. A little bit of what? not much. You put too much water, that stuff is so, so soft, I mean, it won't stay up and do anything. You just a little bit of water. Stir it all up, get it all mixed in there. If it got a little hard, just put just a couple of drops of water in there, stir it all up. It'll get all nice and soft and pliable and you can begin to work with it as putty. And you begin to put it on the knots and it begins to sink in and it begins to do its function and what we need to do. It's important to know how to soften things up as much as it is How to harden things up. You know, because ice is useful. Ice has a lot of uses in our house. How many times do we ask for ice? How many times do we send somebody out for ice? I need some more ice. Because ice is not something that you can just, you can't just make ice hard quickly. It takes time. How many of y'all know putting the ice trays in the refrigerator? They got to be in there for a few hours. You can't just put it in there, close the door, wait a minute or two. I mean, the Jetsons could do that. But we're not the Jetsons yet. So we have to still do it the slow way. We've got to put it in there and wait for it to get hard. Because when the ice is hard, it's useful. But there's other times when you need things soft. If you want a cup of water, you need it to be... You have ever left water in your, your vehicle in the wintertime, in the bottle? And you know, sometimes, you know, in the fall and in the spring, it just kind of chills that water off for you. It's kind of, so you get that water, it's just kind of cool. But then other times, you know, like we had, what was it? What day was it last week? It got cold? Tuesday? Something like that. Monday, somewhere in there. I mean, it wasn't long. Glory to God. Isn't this one of the best winters you have ever been through? Glory to God. This is good. I mean, we had like, like two days of cold weather, and it's January. <laughs> last year it was a whole lot different. We had two days of cold weather by October. <laughs> It's been a whole lot better. We like this stuff much, much nicer. But you have that water. It's out there in the car. But when it's frozen solid, it's not useful, is it? In fact, sometimes it can kind of grow and pop the lid on the bottle and then get all over the vehicle and it's not a good situation. So hard, soft, there's different uses for it. But your heart needs to be soft. Thank God there's some things you can do to make your heart Soft. Thank God we can understand what it is that I do that makes my heart hard. If you don't want water hard, don't leave it out in the car when you know the temperature is going down to the teens or lower. Bring the water in and it won't get hard and be unusable in those bottles that you'd like to keep out there. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Is it today? Isn't that funny? Today's today, and tomorrow will be today tomorrow. My grandfather used to have one of those things. He had all kinds of phrases. He said, today is tomorrow that you look forward to yesterday. <laughs> that was one of his. He would go around saying that. Well, yeah, today's always today. But today is tomorrow that you did look forward to yesterday. But now it's today. So as long as it's called today, and today is today. He says, exhort one another daily. So tomorrow is still today. You should be exhorting each other. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, how many of you like to be exhorted? We don't always like to be exhorted, do we? We don't like to be exhorted because we think that what we're doing is Okay where I'm going, how I'm going about it. I think I'm all right. And when people come along and exhort us, we're not, ha- we're not happy with this. Now, you know, we're we're getting out of football season. In fact, for us here in Philadelphia, football season is over, right? I mean, it's over. We, who cares what happens in the playoffs now because we're not in it. But basketball season has started and hockey season is going full board. And, you know, i was uh, i saw some things about the game that happened yesterday, the sixers game. The sixers were playing, and apparently it was a pretty close game and and uh you know with the youth group was over last night, and we were they were all chatting and talking about stuff and so I checked the score every once in a while and then all of a sudden in the third quarter i didn't know what happened in the game, but all of a sudden in the third quarter it was it was the, i think the, the other team went up by a couple of scores, and then all of a sudden, the score changed, and the sixers went up and up more, and up more. And I think they went on like a 13-0 run. And they just blew them out of the the water. And I didn't know what happened. I just knew that, wow, they... I mean, when they finally got done the game, they won by something like, what was it, 30 points? It was was a lot of points. I mean, they just... uh, The other team did not show up in the second half. Well, I read something about the... about what happened in the third quarter. And in the third quarter... They were winning the game. They were up by, I don't know, seven or eight points in the half. And they came out and they were, they were, they came out flat. And the other team was scoring some buckets. Didn't get many. I think they got four points. But the coach just didn't like what was going on. So he called a timeout and he called his guys over. And I saw, I think it was Drew Holiday who said, who kind of talked about the meeting the coach had. And he didn't say that he talked about basketball at all. He just exhorted them (laughs) to get out there. And to work harder. And, you know, I don't know what kind of language that this particular coach uses, but whatever language it was, however it was that he talked about it, they came out of that timeout and they went out there and they went on this 13-0 run for whatever it was he, he said in there. It just lit a fire under them and they got exhorted. And so they went on out there and they did the thing. What happens is other people can sometimes see when we are getting off course. Other people can begin to see when we're becoming critical. Other people can begin to see when we're not quite walking the way that we're supposed to be walking. When we've kind of slipped up a little bit. Because other people can see that. You know what? You can't see it yourself as much because you're doing it. And you know why you're doing it? Because you think it's right. You think it's right. And so uh, you can think of this as a coach. A coach is a person who comes along and begins to exhort you on what you're doing that's wrong. He's telling you, you're not doing this right. You need to quit it. And he got those guys moving and he got them going. But you see, if you put yourself under a coach, you're saying, coach, you know better than I do. What am I doing wrong? And the coach comes in and says, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. And you are encouraged, not discouraged, encouraged because, all right, okay, now I got something to work on. If I just change my swing, if I just change my stance. If I just change the way I'm throwing, if I just change the way I'm thinking, if I just change my preparation, if whatever it is, the coach has come up with something and he's giving you an exhortation. Here, work it this way. Do this. Go this in this direction. Function like this. And you begin to learn what it is that you're supposed to do. And so your attitude towards someone coming in and exhorting you daily is, oh, what what are you going to tell me today to work on? And you're excited because someone is going to come alongside of you and tell you what you're doing wrong. And you're excited because you know, if I listen, I'll be better. I'll be better. And I want to get better. Whatever it is that we have that we want to get better at, we need to get someone along the line that can tell us what it is that we need to change. How it is that we need to change it. How it is that we need to make it better. And we need to listen to them. And when they come... Now, some people try to exhort us and they have no business exhorting us. We have no relationship there. We haven't asked them for anything. But you ought to have some people around you that you can ask and say, look, if I get off track, kick me. Hit me upside the head. Tell me I'm doing something wrong. And you know, and just don't candy coat it. I mean, tell me what's going on in this thing and, and I'll fix it. And oh, it'll help you out a whole lot will help you out tremendously because we don't always do things right we sometimes do them wrong how many of y'all been are done doing something wrong you thought you were doing it right but it just it wasn't working you got a hold of somebody else and they told you no 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 you need to do it this way oh oh like that oh, and it worked and then when it works what what happens the next time they want to come along and tell you something oh yeah yeah what what else are you seeing And we're excited because if you tell me what I'm doing wrong, but if we get a hard heart about it, what do you mean telling me I'm doing it wrong? Who are you? What have you done? But we can get a hard heart towards these things and turn it off. I've told you the years when I was running cross country and doing things. My first year of cross country, I had never run cross country in school. I had done other sports, but never ran cross country. All I did was run. I ran far. I ran as fast as I can every time I went out there to run. Just ran. Wherever I was going, just ran. Ran, 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 ran. Got there to school and just ran some more. But I didn't know how to run. I just knew to run. And so I went through the first season there and learned some things and found out some things about running. Didn't know before. And found out how to train. And so I went on back home and that's that summer before the session I learned some things about how to train and so I was getting myself ready training the way I was supposed to train instead of just running places I was running with a purpose. No, no, no. Today we're going to run fast. Tomorrow we're going to run slow. The next day we're going to be on a track. The next day I'm going to have a race and and instead of just running miles my miles had more purpose and so before the season all through the summer I ran somewhere between 70 and 100 miles per week and rode my bike. Because I figured I could do the bike and not put as much pressure on. I went into camp that year. Oh, I'll tell you what. One of the best, one of the highlights of college was cross-country camp. Oh, I love All we had to do was sleep, eat, and run. That's all we had to do. We had to do nothing else. You wake up in the morning, you have breakfast, and you go out on an 8, nine, ten mile run. Glory to God, it was so good. And then we come back and we have lunch and we go out in the afternoon and we run another six or seven miles. Oh, it was wonderful. It was so good. I, I was in heaven. I thought, you know, if I die I and go to heaven and this is what we're doing, I'm, I am happy. I could not wait for cross country camp every year. But I was the only one who had that attitude on the cross country team. No one else had that attitude. Most of them did not run all summer. Most of them, none of them rode ran in any races and none of them did any preparation. So I would run the morning run, eight, nine, ten miles, whatever it was. I would come in. I would cool down. I would get changed. I would be in the shower before the next guy even came in. And I'm all excited for the afternoon session and everybody else is complaining. And my coach came up to me and said, Steve, we would love to get you out there on the track. You are ready to be out on the track and work you on some intervals. But the rest of the team isn't ready, so we can't do it. I wish they would come in here ready like you did, but they didn't. And so we were ready, and I blew them out of the water all summer, all the camp. They couldn't, they couldn't eat my dust because it had settled by the time they had gotten by. (laughs) But it didn't take, see, they're better runners than I am. It didn't take them long to catch up. (laughs) And after they caught up, they passed me (laughs) because they were a better runner. And one of the guys who came in that year, he was a freshman. And he had been running in college, and he was a good freshman. I was a sophomore, I guess, at that point, but he was a freshman. And uh, he kind of pulled me aside. He says, you know what? Your running style is wrong. You're not running right. He said, tell you what I'll do. I'll follow you. And then I'll tell you what you're doing that's wrong. Now, you see, you can have an attitude. I'm a sophomore. There's no freshman's going to be telling me what to do. But I wasn't going to have that attitude. I had to keep a soft heart. I said, if you're willing to do that, that's great. Tell me. And so he yelled at me, get your arms down. Drive your knees up. Do this. Stop breathing that way. Breathe this way. Do all these kind of things. And he helped me out with that. And I got my posture straightened up and I got my strokes straightened up and I was running better and I ran faster. But that really worked out a whole lot. He helped me out with that. But you see, you have to have an open heart to these things. You have to listen when people come along and want to help you out, want to come along alongside and, hey, I can help you. I can help you with that. I can see when you're getting critical. I can see when you're getting off. I can see when you're not believing God. I can see that. But if you don't want to hear it, you can't help them, can you? If you've got a guy on a team, whatever team it might be, and how many have ever been on a team sport, and there's some people on a team who don't want to listen. They know it all. And they are a poison for the team. They don't help the team. Don't be that way. Don't be a poison for the team of God. There's other people out there who want to help you out. Well, I would just call today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, let people exhort you. Because sin in its deceitfulness hardens you. It's like putting water in the freezer. How many times have you know that there are things that you have done in your life that you know the Word of God said don't do? You went certain places, you know the Word of God said don't go to those places. You said certain words, and you know the Word of God said don't say those words. You thought certain thoughts and you know the Word of God says don't think those thoughts. You got hooked up with certain people and you know the Word of God says don't hook up yourself with those kind of people. How many of we done that, haven't we? And when we do it, when we, when we step out and we get involved in these kind of things, the deceitfulness of sin is such, see, you can do this and you'll be alright. Oh, I can do this. I got hooked up with this one over here. I said some things over here I thought some things and I didn't die hmm but you see the deceitfulness of sin is this it gets you to go in it gets you to keep hooking up with those people speaking that way thinking that way going into those places doing those things and as you do them over and over and over and over you know what happens you become hard because the voice of God is trying to speak on the inside of you. Don't do that. Don't go there. And we heard it initially. But then we stopped obeying. Pretty soon the voice became distant. Because we have hardened our hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin took that sensitivity that we once had and took it right away. He says, Beware, there is an evil heart. Of unbelief, unbelief is part of the evil heart, more or less just a little bit, but exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin don't be hardened don't be hardened. you keep that like, I know when I was like I was telling you, where they're the running when this guy was behind me, it was easy as soon as I started getting tired and I started to pick up some of the old habits, he'd be right there. stop it. Quit that, but we're in the race, he wasn't behind me. He was ahead of me. He's a better runner. <laughs> he, was, he was way ahead of me. And um, I had to keep check on myself, because when you get tired, you start to pick up the old habits. You start to pick up the old way of, of doing things. But no, you, you don't want to do that. If you're going to run and run a race, your arms need to be in a certain place, and it's not natural. Your knees need to be lifted up to a certain spot and it's not natural. It doesn't come natural. Your feet need to land in a certain way and it's not natural. It's different. And you every single stroke that you go, you got to be thinking about this because if you get out of it, you're expending more energy than you need to be. You're breathing. You don't just breathe in and out. If you go and run, you breathe in and out. You are doing it wrong. How else can you do it? (laughs) If you decide in and out. There is, a, there is a certain way. And if you get out of that way of breathing and getting tired we will do it to you. Problems come in. It's got to be controlled. You've got to control the breathing. And then I learned that there's pain that gets into your body. That it does not affect your muscles and does not affect your arms and does not affect your legs. It affects your mind. And it takes over your mind. And the entire time as you get into really running a race, the battle is not with your body. It's with your mind because the pain tries to take over and it can. It takes over so much you can't see. You don't see the way that you saw before. You can barely see what's ahead of you and you can see nothing else. It completely takes over and you battle to hold on to that mind of yours and to keep your mind telling you the arms go this way, the feet go this way, the knees go this way. My breathing is like this and it's all you are focused on. And keeping yourself on that pace until you can finally cross the finish line and have whatever victory you've got there. But deceitfulness of sin, it wants to come in. It wants to try and take over. It wants to try and get your focus off of doing what the Word of God said and doing something else. And it gets you hardened to the things of God. You You get hardened to what God has to say. But don't do it. We may think we're getting away with sin. Or that it's not affecting us. But that's the hardening process. Oh, that's not affecting me. Adam and Eve, when they ate of the tree, wow, that didn't hurt at all. We're still alive. The deceitfulness of sin. But as soon as Jesus came into the garden, what happened? They hid. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence Steadfast to the end. Again, he's bringing his part on. We have, we have become partakers of Christ. Before he said we're in his household. Now he says we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Don't be shaken. Don't let people come in and say something about the tribulation that you don't know, you don't know from the word of God. About judgment day that you don't know from the word of God. About grace, about mercy. Don't don't let anybody come in and shake you on that. Verse 15. Why would it said Today, if you will hear His voice. Again, we got this today thing, right? Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Every single one who came out of Egypt. Not talking about the people before. Not talking about the people after. The ones who came out of Egypt at that time those are the ones he's talking about they heard and they rebelled they heard and they rebelled he says do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion now sometimes the quotes in your in your bulletin come from things that I heard and I was listening to brother Keith Moore and he said something who's got the bulletin there with him I tried to look at this beforehand nobody's got a bulletin There we go. (laughs) Look at, look at what he said here. I like what he said about rebellion. One way you can tell rebellion, rebellion won't answer a question straight up. One way you can tell that someone's in rebellion, they don't answer the question straight up. They're always, well, it wasn't quite that way. If if the kids are little, did you cut the lawn? Well, Johnny came over. Well, I couldn't find the gas can. Well, you know, it, it looked like it might rain. You know, we have excuses, right? Rebellion doesn't answer the question straight up. When God comes and says, why did you sin? Why did you do that? Well, you know, this woman you gave me. Well, we didn't have any water. Well, we were hungry. And we're always going up because we're in rebellion. I loved what he, hey, I heard him say that. I said, Man, that's good. <laughs> That's a way to tell up that you're in rebellion. You don't even think you are in rebellion. But if you're answering God this, you know who's not in rebellion? Did you cut the lawn today? Nope. No excuse. I didn't do it. (laughs) Is there any rebellion there? No, I didn't do it. I messed up. Nope, I didn't. I'll get it now. No excuse. That's not rebellion. That's just somebody who messed up, forgot, maybe. It wasn't rebellion. But rebellion is, well, I, I was over there. I was thinking about that. I didn't forget about it. And I came up with a few excuses I thought would work. <laughs> have you ever, maybe you've done this. Have you ever forgotten to do something? And then when you remembered, you're trying to think of excuses of why you didn't do it before when you just didn't remember. Well, what, what? Maybe, maybe there was no gas. Yeah, that's it. There was probably no gas, and I'll go out there and I'll check and make sure that there was no gas, and there was no gas, and I can say there was no gas. <laughs> We're trying to come up with excuse. I don't know what the excuse is, but See, that's rebellion. That's rebellion. Just come up straight up for admit it. No, I didn't get it done. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. When they rebelled, they hardened their hearts. Every time that they rebelled against God, every time they came against God. We have no water. You brought us out here to kill us. Every time they did that, they are hardening their hearts. Remember, we know how to harden our hearts. We know how to harden water. We know how to harden things. If we don't want our hearts hardened, don't do the things that harden it. If you don't want the water hard, don't put it in the freezer. Don't leave it outside when it's cold. Now, who having heard rebelled, I put this in your outline. Ignorance is not rebellion. Ignorance is not rebellion. If you don't know something, you're not rebelling against it. Once we hear, our response is on stage. Once I hear, now my, what, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do about it? I've heard, thou shalt not do this. And then what am I gonna do about it? Hophni and Phinehas heard, you are not to be doing this with the women who come into the, to the temple. You are not to be doing this with the sacrifices. And then what did they do when they heard that? Nothing. They rebelled. Samson heard you are not supposed to be hooking up with the Philistine woman. What did he do? Went after more Philistine women. <laughs> he was in rebellion because he heard, but he didn't do it. That's rebellion. Ignorance is not rebellion. Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. He goes on, but they could not enter in. Why? Could not enter in the promised land. Because of their unbelief. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. There are some things God wants you to enter into in your life. There are some callings that God wants you to enter into. There are some promised lands that God wants you to enter into. And the reason we don't enter in is because, everybody, of our unbelief. How is unbelief functioning in this? Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but... The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it, not being mixed with faith with those who heard it. Now, think back in your, your days, how many people, you know, alive today said, oh, I wish I would have bought into Microsoft. Oh, I wish I would have bought into Google. Oh, I would. And you just name you know, I wish I would have bought into Apple when they first came out. I wish I would have bought it and it just named the company. Oh, if I got into them on the ground floor when it was cheap, oh, I'd be doing all right right now. Why didn't you do it? Well, one reason what would be you didn't hear about it. I didn't hear about Apple. I didn't hear about Microsoft. I didn't hear about that. But sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes there came a point where we heard there is a new upstart computer company called Microsoft. There is a new upstart computer company called Apple. Couple of guys in the garage kind of started it. Oh, that won't last. Because what happened? I didn't put faith with what I heard, and I figured that's ah, not going to last. It's a fad thing; they'll go away. But some people put some faith in what they heard and bought some shares of those companies, didn't they? And held on to them, and the company grew and grew, and their money grew and grew and grew. And it profited them. But for those of us who did not, which is me, did not buy into Microsoft, did not buy into Apple, did not buy into whatever other company that's out there that got huge and and whatever. We didn't buy into these things. We didn't profit because we heard about it, but we didn't have faith to believe it was going anywhere. So we acted on unbelief and kept our money and spent it on Something that we probably don't even know what it was. But we could have spent it on something else that would have been more profitable if we had faith in it. If we had confidence in it. But we didn't do it. We didn't get a good mix in there, did we? For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the word of God came, but we didn't mix faith with it, so it didn't profit us. There was no profit that was there. The the idea is that it would benefit us, that it would profit us. I used this example with some other things before. But if we were to take some, some water and we were to say that the water was the word, if we were to take some dirt and mix it in here, what would the water become? Dirt, would it become valuable? Not to you, maybe to a plant. But it wouldn't be valuable to you, would you? You wouldn't like to drink dirt mixed in with the water but say that we heated this water up and say that it was actually winter and you got a packet of hot chocolate or a tea bag and you put the tea bag or the hot chocolate in there and you steeped the tea or stirred the hot chocolate then what do you got? Oh, hot chocolate Mm. Mm. Oh, tea Oh, yeah I'd, I'd say coffee, you know but I don't like coffee I like tea and I like hot chocolate. If it was coffee, it'd be like, you know, I'd rather have the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I, no, I, <laughs> I know. I do. I do not like coffee. I'd much rather drink dirt than that. That's just me. Now, that's other people would rather drink coffee. And tea is ugly to them. Oh, tea. Ah, nothing like tea. I love teas. I have all kinds of teas at home. Know how to make them. Enjoy making them. But it's got to be cold out there for me to drink tea. Hot tea. And it's not cold. So we don't drink much tea right now. But you see, it depends on what you... You make you get the word and what do you mix with it to make it valuable. The idea is that you mix faith with the word that you hear and it makes it valuable. When you hear the word of God say, don't do that. When you hear the spirit of God come up on the inside of you and say, stay out of there. Don't get involved in that relationship. Don't make that investment. Don't say those words. Don't think those thoughts. I mix faith with by saying, I'm going to believe that what you're saying is true and that there's value in me not doing that. And I don't do it. Or I can mix in unbelief. I'm going to mix in something. I'm going to mix in something. I'm going to mix in faith or I'm going to mix in unbelief. When the word of God comes to me, Whether it's a spoken word through the spirit or the written word of God. When that water comes to me, I'm going to mix something with it. I'm going to mix faith with it, believe it, or I'm going to mix unbelief. Same way that word came to you by Microsoft. No, I don't think so. I mixed unbelief. Where do I sign up? I mixed faith. I'm going to mix something with it. If I don't act on it at all, I mixed unbelief. Because if I believed it, I would have done something about it. You got to get the right mix in there. So they heard, but they did not add faith to it. Instead, they added unbelief. We will always add one or the other to what we hear. And the results will tell you clearly. The results will tell you exactly what you added. Do you have a hard heart? Or are you getting a softer heart? You'll know exactly whether you added. Faith or unbelief? For we who have believed do enter the rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore remains that some must enter it. And those to whom was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a time, as it has been today, it's been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That phrase has been repeated quite a few times, hasn't it? Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because if you hear his voice, through his spirit speaking to you, through the word of God, because it has taught you what you were to do and you do not do it. You are hardening your heart and the next word will be harder to receive, will be harder for me to perceive, will be harder for me to discern that this is the voice of God. And then I resist that one. Then the next one's even harder because I'm getting harder and harder and harder to the things of God. And I don't realize the damage that it has done for me. But you can tell by the results. How many of you ever baked in your house? I've done this mistake many, well not many times, but several times. Enough times that I've always double-check how many have ever substituted baking soda for baking powder. You can tell the difference, can't you? I mean some recipes call for baking soda and some recipes call for baking powder. And if you put the wrong one in, you can tell when the thing comes out of the oven. Oh, I used the wrong one. <laughs> That's that did not come out right. You can tell by the results. He says, "Don't harden your your hearts." You're going to be able to tell by the results. The more God speaks to us, the softer we should get. The more we should hear His voice. It's just like that coach relationship with the player. The more the coach speaks, the more the player listens the better the player gets and the more the player wants to listen. He wants that coach to speak into his life. He wants that coach. Coach, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I'm doing wrong here. Just you don't have to build me up. Just tell me what I'm doing wrong. I want to stop what it is that I'm doing wrong. I'm going to do the right things. And the coach would come in and, and exhort him again and exhort him again and exhort him again. But all the while, he's becoming a better player. A better athlete. Someone better on the, on the floor there. He says, if you will hear his voice. says that again. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Oh, folks, there's a whole lot of people working awful hard on some things that they just don't need to. There are some things that you just need to rest on and there are some things you need to still work at but what folks we are we are working on some things that we shouldn't be working on my wife some of you already heard about this my wife got a a message from uh, another one of her relatives and she had put up on her facebook a big long thing to minister to some of them and uh, it was a good thing that if you didn't read that you ought to read that it was a it was a real good thing that she had put up there and so some of the one of the persons read it and they responded back because one of their uh uh children was uh, about to about to die. They had a uh, long story what happened, but situation came in. They took her to the hospital. She was on life support, and they were going to pull the plug the next day. And in, they sent her a message, and in that message, I was amazed at how much doubt and unbelief you could put in one paragraph. In fact, it was about the most doubt and unbelief I'd ever seen in one single paragraph. And yet this person spoke out a number of things in the Word of God. And all I, I was reading it over and I said, man, they are, it's full of doubt and unbelief. Because they were saying, oh, we appreciate the word that you had to say. And I don't know if I remember everything that the person said, but some of the things that they had, had mentioned was we've been pleading the blood over her day and night. Well, somebody's taught them wrong. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And somebody taught them wrong. If you're here pleading the blood, don't let me know about it because I'll get all over you. We don't need to plead the blood. We have the name of Jesus. People get out there and they think they have success with that. Anyway, we've been pleading it all, all day and night. What good does that do? Day and night. And then they, they went on there and said, we've been praying and asking God. We're praying. We're making prayers for her all, all around the clock. Prayers. And well, whatever happens, we just know it's God's will. Thinking, well, you don't know the will of God. So, when you're praying, you can't pray the will of God because you don't know it. Because you're happy whether she dies or you're happy whether she goes and stays here. There's, there's no faith there. And there was so much unbelief. You, you find a person in that situation, how do you minister to them? You can't. There are, you see, how many have ever been up in an airplane? You know what's really fun about flying an airplane? I haven't never flown an airplane. I'm not speaking from personal experience. But if I did fly an airplane, I'd want to test this out. Because you get on up there and you you have a little button. And you know what the button's called? Autopilot. You tell the plane where you want to go and you hit autopilot. And you know what the thing does? It goes there. It adjusts for winds that are coming at it. It adjusts for turbulence. It adjusts for things that try and throw it off course. And it makes adjustments and puts it back on course. But all the while, it's making these little adjustments. Keeping you going that way. We were in the uh, Acme, my wife and I We were out there shopping and we ran into a friend of hers and he was telling us, you know, he's talking about, he's a big boat guy and he has a boat and he says, you know what? Our boat has an autopilot on it. I didn't know boats had autopilots. As some of you are, may have already known that. I didn't know that they had autopilots. He said, you get on out there, you hit the autopilot and the boat, no matter what the waves are, no matter what the wind is going on, you hit the autopilot and the boat makes all the adjustments for you. You don't have to mess with anything. He was talking about sometime they were in a storm and it wasn't a big storm, but, you know, four or five foot waves. And hit the autopilot and the thing made all these adjustments. You see, because when you are in the word, you are listening to the spirit. You are their spirit is constantly making autopilot adjustments a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, keeping you on course. And so when a problem comes up, you are in line, the line of faith. You are where you need to be. But if you don't listen to all the things that the Spirit of God wants to say when He said, make this adjustment here. Feed on this stuff. Stop doing that. Don't do this over here. Take this in. Begin to eat this. Don't eat that. And He's beginning to make adjustments to you, steering you in different directions all the time, keeping you on course. And then all of a sudden, we, don't, we decide not to listen to that. We take the thing off all autopilot. Oh, I can figure this out. I've heard pilots that have flown upside down thinking they were right side up. Can you imagine being upside down on an airplane and thinking you're right side up? But I hear it happens a lot. You could not tell that pilot he's not upside down. But his plane is upside down. The land is over top of him overhead, not underneath like he thinks it is. Because we make wrong decisions. We begin to get our hearts hard and our course becomes off. And God's, and we all of a sudden, we wake up to the fact that we are way out over here instead of where we're supposed to be. My sister and her family had opportunity to fly from here out to San Francisco or Sacramento, one of those areas, for a wedding. And so they were flying across country. How many of you know that if you were on that flight and you looked out the window and saw nothing but ocean would know we are off course. <laughs> something went wrong. We made a wrong turn on North, North Dakota or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> we made a wrong, we are over, we're not supposed to be over water. Not this much. There was a problem there. And you're, you don't know where you are off course, but you got off course. Christians have suddenly woken up to the fact that they're out over the ocean and they weren't supposed to be. Because they didn't listen to the adjustments that the Spirit of God was trying to make. And they got themselves so hard, so hard of heart, that every time the Spirit of God tries to make an adjustment, tries to bring you in, you resist it. And you don't adjust. And we get out in places that we shouldn't be. Because we're hard of heart. We could get into more on, on this, but let me close us out by finishing this part off. Two off Christians are hearing the Word of God and working to bring it about instead of just adding faith to what they heard. Working to try and bring it about. You listen to people. Oh, we are praying hard. Oh, we are making confessions. Oh, we are... And and all the things that they are doing. You know what? Hear the Word of God. What's the Word of God say? Add faith to it. The The nobleman who came to Jesus. My son's about ready to die. He says, go your way. Your son lives. He had to believe that, did he? He had to hear what the Word of God said and mix faith with it and not be hard-hearted toward it and then go and his son was healed. Many more examples beside that. Too much, too many times, folks, we are working to bring things about through faith instead of adding faith to the Word of God that we heard. Resistance to the Holy Spirit is futile. I remember that, the Borg. That's where I got that one from. The Borg, what was their statement they would make to everybody they came in contact with? Resistance is futile. Came to be a big big thing. Resistance is futile. There's no reason to resist because we are going to overtake you. You are going to be assimilated. Just give in. Resistance to the Holy Spirit, folks, is futile because we either resist what is for our benefit or His guidance away from harm. Resistance to the Holy Spirit is futile we are hurting ourselves when we resist him the sooner we learn that the better how many of you can think of some great athletes that have uh, been on some great teams but refused to listen to the coach and you had great athletes who became nothing because they refused to listen to the coach How many remember Terrell Owens? Some said his build, his physique, his speed, his strength, his height, his hands, everything about him. He would have been the best receiver ever in the NFL. He would have broken every record if he just would have listened. But every place he went. He didn't listen. He resisted what the coaches would say. He would resisted what people would try and tell him. He resisted, resisted, resisted. And we saw the culmination here in Philadelphia when he's out there on the front lawn doing sit-ups in front of the whole camera crews and everything like that and just spouting off why everybody else was wrong and why he was right. And he never went anywhere. And yet the man had every tool that he needed. He had all the speed. He had all the opportunity. He had the ability he was in the right place, but amounted to nothing. This year, he was even looking for a new team and no one wanted to put him on. The guy who was said to be probably the greatest receiver could have been the greatest receiver ever. And how many of y'all saw, if you watched the Eagles, you saw some moments of absolute brilliance. But you couldn't keep it going because he refused to listen. God wants to take you to places of absolute brilliance. He wants to bless your finances to places of absolute brilliance. He wants to bless you in your job. He wants to bless you in your family. He wants to bless you in the wisdom and knowledge that you have. He wants to bless you in your relationships. He wants to bless you in everything that you do so that the word of God, when it says that you will be blessed going out and blessed coming in. No matter what the situation is going on, you are blessed because you listen to what the Spirit of God says, even though it doesn't make any sense. You have such an openness to the Holy Spirit. You say, you know what? Resistance is futile. (laughs) You want me to strike a rock for water? Okay. You want me to get up early in the morning because food's going to fall from heaven? (laughs) All right. (laughs) We'll do it. You want me to just put enough away for today and not for tomorrow? Okay. I'll do it resistance is futile and yet we resist the more we resist the harder we get we know how to make our hearts hard how do we make them soft how do we get our hearts so that they are softer to the things of God and when God responds we can't wait to do what he said we'll get more into that as we get going Father, we thank you for the word that you give us I thank you, Father, for the grace that is in our lives that we can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We can listen to the voice of the Word of God and we can respond. We can respond favorably. We can mix faith with every word that we hear. We do not have to mix doubt and unbelief, but we can mix faith. When we mix faith, we do the thing. We do it. We don't know why. We don't know all the reasons as to how, but we have faith In confidence in God. More than we do ourselves. And we listen. So Father we thank you for the help that you give us. In all these things. We're looking forward to the things that you teach us. The things that you speak to us. Because we know when you speak to us. You have our good in mind. And you are taking us to a higher place. And who. Would want to resist that. Thank you for the help. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Before we go we have a couple of testimonies. I like testimonies. I like to hear how God is working in your life and how you are putting the Word of God to work that you are learning. Bob's up here in the front. I'll ask him to, to start up. And Angela, go right
1: next. Okay. Uh, I just want to give a testimony about God's faithfulness. I've been uh, declaring the Lord's favor over myself and my family for a while now. And uh, you know, a lot of times when we give up because we don't see results right away, and I think that's probably been one of the pr- problems over the long haul is is we just give up because we don't, we don't see what God's doing or we expect something quicker and it doesn't come. But I've been doing it anyway. i been declaring his favor and speaking blessing over my family, speaking blessing over m- myself, and even the fact that I lost a job last year and haven't found another one. I'm still declaring God's favor. And just to show you what God does, he's so amazing Uh, I had a a friend of mine that I played uh, in several different musical groups with and myself and some other Christians that were all good friends with him, prayed for him, had uh, spoken to him about the Lord and, you know, and wanted, you know, just wanted him to come to know the Lord. And as far as we know, he never came to the Lord. And two years ago at uh, Christmas Eve, he didn't show up for a job. And I went to his house after the job was over and found out that he passed away in his house. And so we, you know, of course, there was a, there was a funeral sometime afterward, and it seemed to me that nobody in the family knew the Lord. And I got some brass players together that loved him and just wanted to be there. And uh, to make a long story short, I got an email from the brother, uh, about probably a month ago, saying they settled his estate, they were done everything, they wanted to, you know, send out a few, Gifts to some people that had been meaningful to him, and some of the organizations that he uh, played in. So, as far as I could tell, some of the groups that he played in, they were sending out checks for a thousand dollars. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, it's just me and a couple of guys, and he wanted to do something for me. I probably I opened up the check uh, last week when it came, and it was for two thousand dollars. And I'm like. <laughs> why don 't we believe the Lord when he says he 's going to he wants to bless us and do things and you know and we declare we declare every time we give an offering that god 's going to give back to us through the hands of men here 's unbelievers giving me money, so money 's coming back to me just because i 've been tithing and declaring god 's word over it and doing what he said to do and it 's just a, a to me, awesome just to, you know, watch what God does when we get out of the way. So I just wanted to praise the Lord for what he's done.
2: Mine's very similar to what Bob had said. Um, some of you may know that I go to play bingo once or twice a week. I go just for the social aspect of it, but it's the people that I get. and there's this one woman that I've been just drawn to almost immediately. She's, I guess 20, 25 years older than me, but we get along. Like So on a Thursday, I went there to go and see her. We were playing our games, came along, which I very rarely play. I hit it for $250, okay? And before they could come and give me the money, I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm telling you, as soon as I can hear everybody's voice in here, clear as day, give away $100. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. I said, okay, Lord. But after I got the money and I said, Lord, the person I want to give the money to, you're going to have to open up their heart when I give this to them. Because I knew that they were going to be resistive, right? I saw that person two days later. And privately, I had the cash in my hand and I gave it to her. And I said, do it this, whatever you see fit. That was a Thursday and a Saturday. Tuesday, I went back to play bingo. In a different place. This one I didn't even see coming. Never. You'll probably hit it quicker than I did that day. I was playing, I hit a game for $100, right? You're probably going, oh, she gave away $100. She got $100 back. No, it didn't hit me. The last game is the jackpot, and that game is worth $1,000. I sat there, and I got it. So now in one evening, I walked away with $1,100. Anybody that was within earshot of me or further heard me say, I was obedient to God, and because of this, I have been blessed. And he goes, oh, that was And I said, yeah, that's great, but it's because of my obedience. I said, I never pray to win. I don't ask God to give me favor to win here. I pray so that I can give him glory. So anybody, there was at least a dozen people within earshot of me that heard me say that. So every time they know, I said, I don't care if you're a believer or not. I am. They know what I was standing there. And I said, okay, now what am I going to do with this? So then I said to my husband, don't take any money out for Christmas (laughs) because it's all here in cash. And that's what we end up doing to the older children, giving them all cash for their Christmas gift. We didn't have to touch any of the money that we had put aside for that. But anybody who's, who knows me knows that I don't go, you know, good luck, have fun. I always say, have fun, enjoy your night. This is supposed to be a nice, relaxing game and be around people. And that's just how it is. You just have to just relax. As Bob said, you never know where it's going to come from. And just as we confess every single week through the hands of men, it's going to come back to you.